Hey folks, before we get started, I just want to let you know about my upcoming book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. If you're looking for a job or you think you might be looking for a job in the future and you're trying to up your mobility and meet new people and things like that, this book walks you through the whole process. Go ahead and check it out. It comes out on November 20th. It'll be on Amazon and you can find it as The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host for the moment, Thomas Alot, and on the panel today we have Charles Wood. Hey folks! And joining us today we have uh, Chris Reyes. Hey everybody! And our guest this week is Paul Cohen. Hi there. Are you a React developer who builds large applications for your organization? With NX, you can build your apps in a monorepo alongside your backend code and share code between React and other frameworks. You'll also get advanced code generation and automatically configured tooling like Cypress, Jest, and Prettier to simplify your workload. You'll build higher quality apps, share more across teams, and focus less time on configuration. Visit nx.dev react to get Narwhal's free open source set of extensible dev tools. So how did you get involved in React originally? I'd love to hear the origin story. Right. Well, so even my journey into development, I was a painter and decorator until I was 30. So I'm sort of quite late into the game. I did the .NET stuff, but more and more drawn to the UI side of things and JavaScript heavy applications. Uh, then we had Backbone and then there was Ember. And Ember was something I worked on for a few years, which it probably is better now. But at the time, I just ran into bug after framework bug and just the whole model of holding Ember at the time, it might be different now, it was all based on observables and computer properties. And it was nearly impossible to sort of keep a mental model in your head of what was yeah. triggered. I nearly lost my mind. I, it, was, it was really distressing, the whole thing. And then I heard of the flux pattern. I read about it and it suddenly made absolute sense that this is the whole the declarative side of React. You're not, you're not triggering changes based on other changes, you're, you're updating state, really. It's, it's all state-based. Flux, actually, Flux, and, and then which became Redux, is state-based. So you should be updating state, and your components know how to, how to render themselves based on these state changes. And this was just like a Damascus moment for me. I, suddenly, programming made sense again. I, I, I withdrew my application to Burger King. I, I was happy to bring some sanity to the, the sea of observables and computer properties. I, I wrote my sort of own, because Flux wasn't a framework, it was a, a pattern. So I ruled that out in an Ember application. It really, it just, it sort of cured the whole, the project was, was, was really in trouble. We were spending a lot of time fighting framework bugs. And by using Flux and this notion of passing actions up to a higher level that pushed state down, it really, that, it really was enlightening for me that this, this, and to this day, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for Redux and Flux, especially. And React was the sort of the only one. There was Angular as well had the, the two-way data binding. Ember was again was all two-way data binding, but React sort of stood on its own with this unique pattern. It, it, it sounded daft that you would re-render the whole page, even on the slightest page, with the virtual DOM, but. In practice, it, it really did bring sanity to an absolute chaos. Yeah, uh, I, I remember when um, when Jordan first was telling me about, like, well, what if we just re-rendered everything? I was like, nah, you can't do that. That's insane. But he said, but wait, listen. 
And you're like, well, maybe. <laughs> and like, ah, it's never going to get popular. <laughs> like, sorry. <laughs> Here we are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, Redox has sort of gone a bit out of fashion now, mainly due to the, uh, to the, the boilerplate. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Everybody creates their own middleware. So no, very, very rarely to have two, no, no two Redux projects are basically the same because we all will end up rolling our own uh, middleware. But you have used Reducer uh, now in in the the new one of the new hooks that's come out of React. Like, and that's again, I think the more you think about developing a UI, it really is a sort of a state machine. Is the sort of the most sane way of visualizing, visualizing a, a UI is to be we, we change so the, the important bits are we send actions, but so an action describes something like added to do, and maybe you'll have some properties in that in that object to add it to do. But it's not only that with a state; it's the, the previous state and the next state and the action all together is sort of yeah. the, what what I find fascinating about it. Once you, it it really does it makes a more structured application than imperative code of just. Uh, even if it is two-way data binding, that, that, that I find is a more chaotic application. Yeah, Paul, I really like the point where you said um, no two Redux applications are the same. And every time I've used Redux, I have that kind of anxiety where I need to go look and see how I did it last time. And <laughs> you know, like every time it's a little bit different for the use case. So I just, I want to call it to that point because I've noticed that use reducer kind of remedies that issue because it's a little bit simple implementation. Have you found that use reducers kind of simplified that across applications for you? So again, I think use reducer, it's not for global state. It's more for uh, what we used to call in the old class-based days of React. It's more for component state. Again, I mean, I do see some implementations uh, using the new React context use reducer, but you're going to run into performance problems if you don't take care because every change to the context causes a re-render in React. So I th- it, it is, yeah, it's it definitely... So with Redux, a lot of stuff ended up in the global state that didn't need to be in the global state. You had, like, loading states, and everybody had the loading error, and then we had middleware to <laughs> yeah. loading, blah, blah. I mean, there, was a, there was a pattern in Redux where you would, for doing async calls, where you had, like, a async symbol and that was every project had their own source code of this but with user judicial we can stop things going into the global state that just don't need to be in the global state which purely are for that root component only hooks have been out not for for not very long now i know use reducer is an interesting one i haven't really seen that one used much like in production yet at least none of the projects that i've worked on have really kind of taken it to the next level but we're kind of at an interesting phase now where where hooks have been stable now for they've been in react core for like a year now and teams are starting to to think about really adopting them you had a really interesting article where you it kind of exposed some of the the potential dangers of hooks i think now is a great time to to revisit that and see before everybody you know starts just okay this is the way to do it there's so many things that we need to be aware of or be cautious of. Could you give like a brief uh, summary of like some of the points from that? Yeah, so I, I wrote a, a post about frustrations with React hooks, which certainly I find they, they are strange. <laughs> there are just a number of gotchas, and the only way to go 
to go through these gotchas is to actually do it on a production app. I have no amount of writing the the canonical counter application of a hook is going to expose you to the yeah. So number one is I think is that they're it's just another new paradigm to learn in JavaScript. I mean, you, you're not going to find this this hook implementation anywhere else. We it, one of the things I actually liked about React was we had stateless components where these were pure functions. They take some props and return an HTML element. There's something very beautiful about that. There's not a lot can really go wrong there. So there's not. So we've gone from that to something where lots of things can go wrong. So we're now introducing state into a function. So we're creating these. Uh, this, this sounds disparaging, sort of a Frankenstein function where uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of less sort of controversial word, but the sort of Frankenstein functions are definitely no longer pure because you shouldn't be able to call the same function with the same arguments and something different happens. But if you're unaware, it, it definitely is very much uh, easy to make this happen. And I think that's the, the crux is that it's a function and not a class. So a function is going to get called every time. There's no, there's no longer any lifecycle hooks. And we're trying to somehow post state into these functions. So one of the hooks is the use effect hook, where we like to isolate side effects and have them run after each, well, and have them potentially run after each render cycle. And use effect takes a function uh, to be executed to maybe mutate uh, the DOM or maybe update the title of a HTML page. And it also takes a second argument, which is an array of dependencies. And the logic is that if 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 anything in your callback function is going to refer to any outside scope variables, then they need to be in the dependency array. And this means we're dealing with closures. And I've always had a fear of closures because just weird things happen with closures. Yeah, it can be really hard to reason about because you got to think about, okay, I mean, even the concept of of a closure was really difficult to learn back when I was nerding out about this stuff. But then having to remember, okay, wait, which version of this variable is going to be available and which functions inside of this thing and at what periods in the... It's kind yeah, of hard as to it changes, yeah. am I? Do I have the old version or the new version? Or oh, <laughs> it, right. it changed, and now I don't have what I thought I had. Yeah, it's essentially time travel, but you're not sure what <laughs> point in history you're going back to. So it's a yeah, kind of just I all the people to... are wearing funny clothes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, in the article, I want to point out, and something I identified a lot with was. Hooks come off as deceptively simple. You you know, when they were announced, you know, you read through that article, hooks at a glance, and, you know, you went through the counters. And then when you start working in the real world, they kind of announced it as classes confuse humans and machines. But now we're kind of swapping out the class problem with the closure problem, because I feel like, you know, calling back closures is that classic JavaScript interview question. You yeah. closure and you kind of start stressing out, you know, and it's a very complex topic. So... Is that where a lot of the frustration started? Was that like kind of the main drive in this article? So years ago, I thought, I remember thinking, I'm going to try and avoid closures as much as I can. I've forgotten what the actual pain point was. But also there's the, the dependency array. There, there are just a number of really subtle gotchas with hooks. I and mean, this dependency array, which where you, you want the effect to 
because when any when anything changes, like say you've got the classic count variable, if that if that count increments, then you want to run the effect again to maybe re-render a label or something. And this dependency array uses object is comparison. So it doesn't do like that. So that so say you have a function that's being created in each render cycle, or you have a new object each time, then that really sort of blitzes your dependency array because it does object is so it, it doesn't check it doesn't do a deep equality check. So you have an object with a name field. Uh, if that if that object's being recreated each time, but with the same name string, it'll there'll be an inequality check because it's checking on the object reference and not the values of the object. And I see why they're doing this because you could get it if you start doing a big deep equality check in a deeply nested object, then you're going to have performance yeah. problems. There are a number of libraries now to there's use memo one is the one i use it does a shallow equality check it doesn't go any deeper than the sort of the first level but the fact that these exist is another science of gotcha and there's also a linter in it for hooks uh which checks this dependency array if for the as lint you can pass a dash dash fix switch to as lint and it will uh, if you're developing in base code or something it will actually update the dependency array for you so that, that to me is another sign That's that nice, yeah. It's nice, but it's also a sign that we shouldn't really need a linter for a, a new pattern. That That's quite worrying. So it is that we actually need external tooling to, we, we shouldn't need really external tooling to keep this in the right track. I, I, it is very useful. I, I personally always have it on and it surprised me that it's actually right more than I am. I, I probably shouldn't be surprised by this, but it, it's actually, you generally write, it, it just checks that anything in the, the use effect callback you're, if you're referencing anything that in there that's not the dependency array, it will add it, but then you get into this problem again with the object as a quality check. If you have objects and functions, which you're going to have at some point, like so you either have to spread out your object or use a so you're you're checking on the object properties and not the object itself, or you have to use something like use memo one, which does a deep or does a shallow equality check. So this again, these are all very subtle things which you won't find out doing your counter example in a code sandbox, but you will certainly come into this if you're on a real production app. So what do you recommend as far as like for individuals trying to up their game or companies trying to, you know, stabilize their code base? Like what can we do about these things either to like things to avoid or things to keep in mind or should every individual have to master all these concepts individually or? Again, to me, it comes down to experience. This is, this is again, this is, I, I don't think they're, there, some actually, well, some people pointed out in that post. Some people pointed out some good points to me. So I wrote a follow-up called "Solutions to uh, Frustrations with React Hooks." Uh, uh, one guy actually made a very good point there. Again, he brought back to the declarative nature about React. I I, I got into the problem where I, the point in the post I made was it was hard to use. a hook has to be they have to be called in the same order and they have to be called at the start of your functional components. They can't be called, they have to be called in the same order each time because of the way the internal implementation of hooks. So you can't have a hook in an if statement and you can't have a hook in an event handler because then they're not going to be called in the same order each time. But that, I think that was me. My point was I couldn't work out how to use a hook in an event handler. And I thought, what's the point of hooks if I can't use an event handler? That for yeah. something like I use fetch or you know, fetching an API, that to me is the perfect use case for a hook. It'll supply my loading and error states just like Redux used to. But I had to jump through hoops to actually 
make this work in an event handler? And somebody pointed out again, back to the original point of the declarative nature of React, is to use Reducer and just part use Reducer comes with a dispatch function, which will update the state. So that's what you, you put that in your event handler and that brings it back to the declarative nature of React. So you you update some state from the dispatch function from user reducer, and then your components how naturally to update themselves because React is a beautiful declarative framework. So I think that that, that is the mindset for me is to really stick to React's roots, which is we update some state and the components naturally update. We don't imperatively update our components. That, that was, well, I can't remember the, the name of the guy, but it was the first comment in the original post, but he really... Uh, put me on the, the right path by mentioning that. Be declarative. That should be the model when dealing with React. Yeah, but I think to your point, that all kind of comes back to it's just another paradigm for writing React, you know, like because beforehand when you were thinking about using hooks, it kind of, I saw your point where it seems like from the event handler, you should be able to just call use fetch, but then you have to maintain that call order. So now you have to kind of be, you know, have the user reducer as another tool. You know, and there's just so many hooks. And then once you kind of get in the idea of writing custom hooks, that's a whole nother ball game. So in terms of the custom hooks, did you kind of run into this, any kind of these issues when you were working in production code? Uh, yeah, most of them really. Yeah, that was my one was to, was to create my own uh, use, use fetch. So there's a hundred of, the, of these things. And yeah, I, I my implementation was to create a closure that called the hook. But I think that generally I've, I've changed my opinion Somewhat, and I think that the way of calling use use reducer from the if we can remember just if we're we're updating state anything outside the the hook the natural hook order I think just updating state is, is the correct way to go definitely uh, the best way and then or uh, this is this is the way it sort of did happen in React as well we had component did mount and we had component did update as well like again and we used to sort of check props so component did mount is when the component is added to the DOM and component did update is after a render cycle and after props and, or state has changed in the, in the React component. And that was a pretty common pattern was to you compare the previous props to the next props and maybe you, you do something. So that to me has all been simplified by Hook. So uh, on, the, on the whole, I'm really a lot more positive about them, I think, than I initially was, but I have gone through the pain. That's the thing. I'm, I'm trying to think is there a way to not go through the pain? I guess is the maybe hooks are more stable now, so you could actually look at some of the popular libraries now. There's, there's the yeah. use specs one. I know I was, I was speaking to the one of the guys that wrote that, and he he actually changed his code to use use reducer in response to the article as well. So that was good to see. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people have written their own use fetch or use promise or something like that, and it's good that the React team has come and kind of clarified their opinion on what these things are designed for and now it's kind of they're trying to push us to to think of it as an anti-pattern to do like to do stuff like use fetch and to to think about handling promises and with concurrent mode and suspense and all that stuff and and kind of separating out the the data fetching and promises stuff from the actual rendering of the UI i think that's going to help in the future, as well as, you know, kind of all of us early adopters who have kind of run full steam ahead and, and tested the, the boundaries 
especially with with articles like yours where we're we're starting to see the edges of hooks and where like on the old maps or like Darby dragons, like don't just don't use hooks for this. Like that's going to be a bad time. Yeah. I mean, also what did we have before? I mean, we're still sort of tied to the render cycle. Hook's not going to work outside of render cycle, but we have, we do have a better, I hit, actually hit the, the react docs, the react docs explanation just calls them. It's a way to store state in react functions about using classes. I think that's a terrible explanation of what a hook is. A hook is, a, for me, is a way, it's a, it's a nice way of isolating cross-cutting concerns like logging, yes. uh, authentication. Now, that, to me, is a much better. I mean, you're all, basically, the so docs are saying our classes aren't cool. And basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, let's, 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 let's go with that. But uh, that, that really undersells it, in my opinion. Like, it, it really is. It's a nice way of isolating cross-cutting concerns. Compared to before we had, there was the original mixins with React, then yeah. we had render props, which the game was very clunky, or higher order components as well, which you could really <sighs> yeah. you could get lost in. A, if you've ever gone to the, the dev tools trying to find your component in the sea of connects and with router. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely better, but it's just unfortunate. There just are some general weirdness, and a lot of we- that weirdness, I think, is from closures in general and trying to juggle with my all my pain was really down to this dependency array and the the object is comparison there's a lot of things i didn't realize that i I now do realize that i'll never do again but i sort of had to do them first to realize not to do them yeah i think the whole experience kind of comes back to you kind of had with hooks once you start working with it is really where you gain the knowledge of it and it was a little bit of a painful implementation for me at least but then once, you know, I kind of went through those pain points, it made my code a lot better for sure and readable in the long term because 